Thanks for 120K. We're going to listen to politics go. OMG, WTF, does the Constitution actually say a non-boring guide to how our democracy is supposed to work? Ben Sheehan. Welcome, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. I'm such a fan. I feel like I've been staring at you in your kitchen for like a year, and now we get to actually meet uh, sort of face-to-face. Woohoo! No, it's totally face-to-face. I'm so glad you're here. First of all, let me just say, I wish I wrote this book, right? It is exactly up my alley. It's just taking complicated often unnecessarily dense ideas and making them understandable and, dare I say, enjoyable. It's a fantastic book, and I'm so grateful that you are here to talk to us about it. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So, how'd you come up with the idea for this book? What made you want to write it? I grew up in Washington, D.C., and was surrounded by the government from a very early age, and I realized that I only got a half a year of civics education, I think in eighth grade. I had parents who worked in and with the federal government, and they gave me lessons over the dinner table, but I learned very little of this actually in school. And when I got older and in my professional career in entertainment, working at uh, Funny or Die, I would try to find ways to like work in civics lessons to the videos that I was making. But it really wasn't until 2018 that it hit me uh, when I was doing events for uh, people running for state attorney general or state secretary of state. And it was hard to get my friends involved in any of these events because they didn't even know these positions existed. Whether or not they, regardless of who they wanted to fill these positions, they didn't even know these jobs existed, despite the fact that they used the tax dollars uh, and their voting power to both hire and uh, pay these employees. So I was cleaning out my uh, apartment one day and I found my eighth grade uh, pocket constitution from that half a year of government uh, education I got. And on a whim, I kind of dis- I decided to just, just reread it. I- I also, I'm the kind of nerdy person that kept their like reading materials from when they were 14. Dude, I have a pocket constitution right here. I totally have there it. You I'm go. a nerd through it and through it. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't changed it since. TBD on what's going to happen. But um, I was looking through it and I just struck me how unapproachable a lot of the language was. It's obviously important information that pertains to our everyday lives, but the it felt like reading it was a different language, and, and in a way it was. And so my goal was maybe to get people who may not understand how government works or be daunted by uh, the language or the way our constitution is written, um, if I could make this accessible and easy and make it like explaining it over drinks to a friend rather than like a, you know, a law professor making you feel stupid for not knowing it. So I, I decided to write this book, had it vetted by law professors on both sides of the ideological spectrum, and here it is. So you basically realized that we should all know something about something that was also deeply inaccessible. We have this 200 plus year old document using sentence structure and weird phrasing that most of us don't even understand. And you were like, we could do better because if we understand, then we can start to be like, maybe this should be changed. Maybe this should be changed. Maybe it's time for this. And it comes back to amendments, right? I mean, I gave a little primer on the constitution in the intro and I explained to everyone that we were just going to spend today talking about the first 12 amendments, the ones that were written pre-Civil War. But before we jump right into it, how would you define amendment? So we're all on the same footing as we go in. Amendment is a change. It's something that we change in the Constitution. We add a uh, provision to it. And it's something that the people who wrote the Constitution really wanted us to do. Uh, They really wanted us to be able to change it. They devoted an entire article, uh, Article 5, to this process of changing it. And some of them actually wanted to be changed pretty frequently. Thomas Jefferson thought that we should change the Constitution, not just amendments, the whole Constitution every 19 years. He said it was like having a coat that fit you as a child, expecting to fit you as a a grown-up. Laws change, mores change, people change, and the Constitution should change with, uh, with our times. 
Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense, actually, Thomas. There's a lot of things I disagree with him on, but I have to say it makes sense to keep adjusting something because we don't fit into the things we used to keep fitting into. And it does seem crazy that we, in the modern day, should have to live under rules that were set in the 1700s. So the amendments are valid, and for all intents and purposes, they're just as much a part of the Constitution as the original document, and they're just as binding. Is that correct? That's correct. Great. Okay, so... Let's do this. The First Amendment of the Constitution says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people to peacefully assemble, or to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So this is your freedom of speech amendment, right? The one that allows us to petition the government and protest. The one that gives us freedom of religion and freedom of the press. And you've written in your book that the First Amendment essentially says you may express yourself freely without consequence. But what are some of the other things you think we should know about the First Amendment? Well, I think one is that it applies to Congress specifically. Right. It's saying that Congress can't make any law. So the First Amendment comes up a lot in our everyday society, especially around social media. Right. When there are restrictions on what people can and can't post or tweet. And the truth is, is that these are private companies. These are platforms that are, are, are not part of the government. They are private businesses. They can make their own rules for the kind of things that can be discussed on their platforms. So the First Amendment doesn't apply to them anywhere nearly as much in the same way as it explicitly applies to Congress. Right. People are always saying that. They're like, I should be able to say whatever I want on Twitter. It's free speech. You're like, nope, that doesn't apply to a private company. It's like if you walk into a, a restaurant and start shouting at people and knocking over tables and wandering around yelling things. Like, the restaurant can kick you out. It's a private company. They don't just sit there and let you express yourself uh, freely and um, annoyingly <laughs> for the patrons that are eating at that establishment. Yeah, I mean, the Supreme Court has already decided the amendment doesn't shield us from things like inciting violence in harmful situations. It doesn't shield us from slander, which is defamatory speech. It doesn't shield us from libel, which is defamatory writing. It doesn't shield us from obscenities, which you point out is slightly vague. But it doesn't shield us from child pornography, which is very specific. It doesn't shield us from false advertising or intellectual property violations like copyright or trademarks or patterns like that. That That is not included in the protections of the First Amendment. Right. And I think it's a good reminder that, you know, rights can have caveats. You, you can't deny yeah. people's right to express themselves, but you can put a little bit of regulation on it to make it make sense for the modern world. Because having the unfettered, as I explained earlier, and we've discussed, like having the unfettered act to just express yourself, you can harm other people very, very palpably. So it's really important to have, you know, that it's almost like regulate versus infringe sometimes get lumped together, but they're really different things. One is like preventing something from happening, the other is adding a little bit of garbage. Right. And the amendment applies, as you said, specifically to Congress, which was expanded later in the 14th Amendment to include state legislators. So it's what the government can regulate. Exactly. All right. So the Second Amendment, which we hear about all the time, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Obviously, this is the guns one, and this is the one that causes us endless heartache in America. And most people leave out the first part about a well-regulated militia, and they get right to the part about the right of the people to keep and bear arms not being infringed. So why don't you talk me through this one? So for over 200 years, 
this amendment was understood pretty clearly to apply to abortions. In fact, there have been very few Supreme Court cases in our history that have dealt specifically with the Second Amendment. But half, if not more, of those cases have been since 2008. Since 2008, we have drastically, or I should say the Supreme Court has drastically expanded the understanding of what the Second Amendment is. Before 2008, it was understood that the amendment is in some way connected to militia service or eligibility, because um, it clearly says in the beginning of the amendment, a well-regulated militia. The purpose of this amendment is to have supplemental forces in case the United States needs more people to add to the army and call up to serve. At the beginning of the country in 1791, when this amendment was ratified, we didn't have a gigantic army. There weren't nearly as many people as we have now. We needed reserves. Um, and Congress has since established the National Guard and, and reserves as basically the, the um, official militia of the United States. So this was for a very long time understood to be connected to that. However, a big severance happened in 2008 with the uh, Supreme Court case District of Columbia versus Heller, where for the first time, the Supreme Court explicitly said that we all have the right to have a, in this case, a handgun in the home for self-defense, completely unconnected to our eligibility for a militia, our being in a militia, our wanting to be in a militia, um, and it drastically expanded it. And then Supreme Court cases since have expanded that to the state level. Uh, they've expanded it to all types of bearable arms, not just handguns. And they've expanded it most recently outside the home, being able to have a handgun outside the home traveling for the purpose of self-defense. So in the last 14, 15 years, uh, we've expanded the Second Amendment far more than we did in the first 200 plus years. Which means that our gun crisis is not just a strategically American problem. Our gun crisis is a modern American problem. It is something we have literally done to ourselves since, like you said, 2008. There have only been six, I think you said, Supreme Court decisions directly affecting the Second Amendment since Seven now with the new one, yeah. But yes. Yeah, and, and then half of them. More than half of them now have been since 2008. So this is a modern problem we have brought on ourselves in many ways. I, I would just say that, you know, again, it's the same thing with the First Amendment is that you don't see people out in the streets screaming that, you know, having a libel law is uh, infringing on their First Amendment right or having laws against copyright violations are infringing on their First Amendment rights. But any sort of common sense, and I should say, widely supported regulation across the political spectrum among voters gets this reaction. Um, and I think it's very odd that, you know, there is this huge, I mean, I don't think it's odd, I understand why it's happening, but I think it's interesting when you compare uh, the people are fine with having regulations, reasonable regulations on the First Amendment, but any sort of regulation on the Second Amendment leads to this massive uh, uprising outcry. Yeah, it's unbearable to people. Like, it's the Second Amendment is probably the most debated amendment today. People have been passing around recently former Chief Justice of the Supreme Court Warren Burger's comments on it, which he was basically saying that the Second Amendment has been deliberately misinterpreted, that the right wing of the Supreme Court continues to perpetuate this, what he calls great fraud on the American public, because the framers clearly intended to secure the right to bear arms essentially for military purposes, that it was never supposed to have anything to do with individual gun rights. And we have completely turned that on its end, and it has caused us endless problems. And I think that in the same way that there was a long, you know, almost 50-year uh, plan to overturn 
Roe v. Wade, uh, there was similarly a decades-long process to try to reframe the understanding of the Second Amendment. I and mean, you can trace this back uh, to the late 60s, early 70s, when the NRA went from sort of a hobbyist organization. They called it the Revolt at Cincinnati, when almost overnight it became this gun activist, uh, pro-gun organization. Gun uh, and decades later, they worked all of this time to reframe people's understanding of the Second Amendment, to expand uh, the understanding far more than, in my opinion, and the opinion of people like, Justice Berger and others mm -hmm. uh, is far more expansive than originally intended. Yeah, and you've taken the time in the book to kind of honestly attempt to interpret this amendment, to really break it down, you know, from free state meaning free country, not free individual states, to if someone joins the National Guard or meets the basic requirements, the Constitution absolutely protects their right to own weapons and ammunition. I would all agree with that. And yet, over the years, we've let the Supreme Court kind of turn it over and over again until we don't even know what it stands for. And I think it's something we really should be looking at. We should be looking at that amendment again. Okay, so let's move on to the third. The third says, no soldier shall, in time of peace, be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. Do you want to interpret that for us? This is the you can't have a forced roommate amendment. Um, basically, <laughs> at the you know during the Revolutionary War, you had uh, English soldiers forcing themselves into people's homes and eating their food and sleeping in their rooms, and uh, people didn't want that. They didn't really like it. So we passed this amendment saying that. Oh shit. In this uh, this room, uh, obviously again amendments that were ratified in 1791 things have changed so this hasn't really been a very relevant amendment uh since then but it is it is nice to know that we can't have forced amendments. yeah the fourth amendment says the rights of the people to be secure in their persons houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause supported by clearly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. So basically, the government can't search or steal our stuff without reason. Basically, they can't randomly uh, detain you without probably ca probable cause. They have to have some sort of indication that you are about to commit a crime, that you have committed a crime, uh, in order to detain you, uh, to get a warrant to search your things. This includes both you on your person, this includes where, where you live, where you work, your, your place of residence. So um, it protects our personhood, our livelihood from random government interference, searching, and procedure. Yeah, and warrants can, for searches and seizures can only be issued if there is what they call probable cause, which is a reason to suspect criminal activity. And in those cases, you have to provide evidence under oath, or what they call affirmation, to receive a warrant. And the warrant has to describe the specific place or places that need to be searched and the people or objects that can or cannot be seized. So basically, what happened at Mar-a-Lago with Donald Trump? The FBI couldn't just burst into his house and search everything without a warrant and probable cause. They had to prove to a judge with evidence that he was withholding top secret documents and this was the only way to get them. This is also the amendment that prevents illegal
in my opinion and the opinion of Judge also point out in the book that when we are undergoing searches of our person at airports or at courthouses, that's actually questionable uh, to the Fourth Amendment. Teachers and administrators at schools going through kids' lockers or going on their persons or going through their bags to look for drugs, that's actually a little questionable when it comes to the Fourth Amendment. I think, you know, reasonable regulations, I, they're not infringements, they're not preventing uh, uh, anything, but they're making things safer. It's the guardrails rather than the, the infringements. Again, same with the laws that have regulated uh, the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, and, and plenty of other things. I mean, you say in the book that Madison was thinking about things like physical searches and seizures, but he wouldn't have considered things like blood tests or data privacy, right? This is kind of the example where we start thinking that Science and technology have evolved beyond the person who wrote the amendments could have ever possibly grasped. Like, this amendment probably needs an amendment, one that speaks to our modern world. I mean, quite frankly, the Second Amendment needs an amendment that speaks to our modern world, because there's no way Madison was considering automatic rifles either when he wrote that. I mean, if our founding fathers had seen air conditioning or a cell phone, they probably would have thought it was, like, the devil at work. I mean, they we're so far out of, like, their realm of understanding. They, they were incredibly brilliant people, but like, this was a long time ago. I mean, 20, 30 years ago, I probably would have expected to have literally all information ever created in society in the palm of my hand, but here we go. So, um, yes, there are definitely laws that need to be updated to protect our privacy uh, in the digital age, and I think without just compensation. Now, this is a big one. It's your right to a fair trial amendment, right? And this is your Fifth Amendment when you take the Fifth. So talk me through that. Sure. So I think one thing that obviously has come up recently is, you know, people are discovering what a grand jury is. This is the that this is the state case, not a not a federal case. But at the federal level, we have a right to have to be indicted by a grand jury, and these are our peers. These are people among us. This isn't a king who's coming in and saying, you're uh, indicted of this crime, you have to go to trial. These are people who live among us. These are our friends, our neighbors, our fellow citizens. So I think it's really revolutionary when you look back that they gave people, other people, the power to judge 
fellow people and not have it be some sort of totalitarian thing where you're locked up and thrown in jail and you don't have any any rights at all. In fact, the Constitution, not just in this amendment, but all throughout, there are so many protections against this type of thing. You can't, uh, you know, bills of attainder aren't allowed, being able to lock somebody up and punish them without a, uh, without a trial. You know, suspending habeas corpus, which is the ability to, like, demand to know why you were detained and go here before a judge. So this is one of those amendments that is really revolutionary, in my opinion, for protecting individuals who are uh, accused of crimes. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like I said, this is the one where you can plead the fifth and not incriminate yourself in court. But this is also the one with double jeopardy, where you can't be tried twice for the same crime. This is the amendment that says if you're being tried for a capital crime, meaning the death penalty is possible, or for another serious crime, you have the right to an indictment, which, as we were saying, is a formal accusation by a grand jury of between, just so people know, 16 to 23 U.S. citizens, a jury of your peers, or a trial jury that has between 6 to 12 U.S. citizens. It basically just says you can't be deprived of your life, freedom, belongings, without due process of the law. And you can't have your property taken without someone paying for it. Well, well that last part is very interesting, where it's the government, it? basically. It is, and they kind of threw it in this amendment where it's like, you have a bunch of rights, you can't be accused of the same thing twice. You They're like, by the way, if the government wants your stuff, they'll, they'll pay you a fair rate. What? Like where? It seems very shoehorned in, um, but it's called eminent domain, and it really is intended to apply to, say, if you live near the border or you live near uh, a place where, you know, there has to be some sort of government infrastructure put up. The idea is like the government will buy the land at a fair rate from you in order to use it for a public purpose, the key word being public purpose. So it, it is it is kind of a, a strange thing addition to the amendment. Um, and there is room for it to go wrong, but um, it, it is something that everyone should be keeping an eye on, especially if you live near uh, a border or a place where a railroad might end up being. Yeah, or some sort of waterway. I mean, the whole build a wall thing would have had to use a lot of eminent domain, taking people's property from them in order to do that. Right. Yes. And then the only other thing I would say about this amendment that we should probably note is that exceptions are made in this amendment for the military who have their own legal system um but essentially this is the one that promises us due process and fair legal proceedings yes at the federal level yes so the sixth amendment reads in all criminal prosecutions the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime has been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law, and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of So the Sixth Amendment is the right to a fair and speedy trial. Right. Just checking to see if uh, the um, screenshot I just took actually worked. So, screenshot. Uh, no. Fuck. How come? What happened to it? Fuck. Oh man. Jimmy Flick commented on my reel. 
Probably some asshole. Fucking Trump supporter. <laughs> yes, you are. Actually, 25th. I don't know for governor. Congratulations, lucky winner. T. Ruth Matter Smith commented on my reel. Are the Republicans that are so batshit crazy? It's a weapon of mass destruction. They're trying to distract us from the fact that they took part in an insurrection and therefore they have no right to serve in office. Vice President in the 
That video was cherry-picked four minutes out of seven hours of silence from the White House. Wanted to, um, I said, so what if you have Tucker Carlson video on your page? She is a traitor, too. That video is cherry-picked four minutes out of seven hours of silence from the White House. What about those burner phones they used? Do you realize that you are defending domestic terrorists who smeared their own shit on the walls of Congress while they were trying to overthrow the government? Because they believe that pathological liar? The terrorists that you are defending wanted to overthrow the government and re reinstall a dictator and overturn a democratic election and hang the vice president in the gallows that set up in front of Congress. Do you realize they were beating up police and police officers died that day and the next day is in five committed suicide? You realize 150 police officers were badly injured that day? Don't you back the blue? Monotone. So therefore, they must be disqualified, including Piper Don himself. Why the Republicans act so batshit crazy? It's a weapon of mass destruction. They're trying to distract us from the fact that they took part in an insurrection, and therefore they have no right to serve in office. However, the Congress doesn't have any spine. So you have to call them and nag them and tell them to hold them accountable. They must all be expelled from office using the 14th Amendment. 
Many other people have been impeached for left. Call Congress and tell them to expel the traitors in their midst. And make sure, keep your eyes on the prize, America, that these mofos cannot run for public office. So therefore, they must be disqualified, including Kuiper Don himself. Why the Republicans act so bad shit crazy? Let's see what this shithead has to say. You an idiot. Yes, you are. You are an idiot. Okay, let's see what other shit. I mean, these people are fucking wasted time. What? And then she shared my reel? That's fucking weird. Lynn Hill shared my How reel. Exactly. Will the future masters of the <laughs> planet look like? Not gonna lie. They're gonna look just like me. <laughs> How exactly will the future masters of the planet look like? <laughs> Grand Rapid, this is Lynn Hill Chip. Studied marketing business administration at Grand Rapids Community College alumni. So Saginaw Valley State University, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Followed by 232 people. Thanks for the follow. Or Not thanks for lie. the share. They're gonna look just like. Georgia breaking news, Washington breached in the three others mentioned, and there's no reason I mentioned you and others in the comment Fox News Live, everyone. There's no reason to have abortion unless it literally threatens your mo the mom, but if you don't want to get pregnant, don't have unprotected sex. Defund Viagra. That's breaking news. Defund Viagra. If you don't want to get pregnant, don't have unprotected sex.
to the term honesty. Um, the title is a, a, um, People are fucking defending Chip Roy. Is you. the threat of a nationwide abortion ban. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out as I look across the aisle, is a nation, is a, is a abortion ban in place in Pennsylvania? No, shame on you.
Okay.
Judge not lest ye be judged.
people are fucking um wasted time trying to tell you to look at how blah 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 trying to tell you how to look at how the police encourage the protesters how the police encourage the protesters to come inside Um, 